One of the most common names for this book is the Word of God. And here at Sunnybrook Christian Church and at churches around the country and at churches around the world, everything that we believe and do is founded on what's contained inside this book. Now, I don't know that the pages or the binding of this book is all that holy in and of itself. But because it's the word of God, I know that his words are, and they're perfect, and they're binding. And so what we're going to do today is we're we're in 1 Corinthians 14, complicated passage. But we're just going to, to read it. And you're welcome to follow along. Uh, what I like to do when someone's reading scripture, I, I like to sit with my eyes closed and just let God's words, his perfect, trustworthy, authoritative words wash over me. And then any time that there's a point where I, I have a rub with the text, my immediate thought has to be, it's me who moves, not the text. And so in light of what Paul instructed First Timothy, in 1 Timothy 4 to, to do, to devote to ourselves to the public reading of Scripture, I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 14 over you. And then Jim is going to come up afterwards, after the, the holy words of God have been read and listened to and ingested. And then he is going to look at this text and speak on God's behalf to this congregation what he might like us to learn today. So starting in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, Paul says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not have distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves... If, your tongue, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church." Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? 
I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace." As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask them their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, the overwhelming testimony from cover to cover in this book is that you love the people that you've created. And yet there is also an incredible amount in this book that says that you have a special affection for those who know and love and follow you. And you've called it your church. And Father, your church is beautiful because it's unified and it's beautiful because of its plurality. And, and we thank you that there is an enormous spectrum of followers inside 
your church. And across that spectrum, you've gifted us in unique ways and you've gifted us for seemingly one thing, to build up this church. And in so doing, may we magnify your name. Father, help us to see that the way you've designed us is not for us, but for others. And help us to see that as we live this out with a faithfulness to the text and a submission to the Spirit, that the church will be built up and your name will be magnified. We thank you for these things. And it is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. So when I was taking classes on how to preach, uh, rule number one, when in doubt, read the text. I love that. When in doubt, read the text. And if doubt persists, sit down. Because of what Ryan said, I believe needs interpretation. So I, I promise you, I'm not reluctantly speaking this morning. Um, but let's remember that what Ryan spoke is the one thing that we can know for sure. You might say, ah, I don't know if I agree with what Jim said. I, I, okay, <laughs> promise you, I won't be offended. I might actually think more of you, to be honest with you. But if you doubt what Ryan said, we've got issues, right? It's kind of interesting. That's how much we love the word of God, how much we desire it, how much we consider it to be, to be honest with you, like maybe one of the greatest gifts that God has given us. A revelation about who he is, an understanding about who he is. And it comes to us, the Jewish people in the Old Testament considered the law that came down through Moses the Ten Commandments, the thing that you and I, um, I, I, don't, I would argue, maybe don't appreciate like we could, they considered it to be a gift. And I'm so grateful, the Jewish people would think, I'm so grateful that God did not remain silent. So we had to guess what he wanted. There's nothing worse in any relationship to spend your time worried and trying to guess what someone else wants. God says, yeah, you don't have to guess. Kind of you wonder what God is like, right? And I wonder what God is like. God says, yeah, like there's a part of that will always be like wonder, wonderful. But God says, I'm not just gonna remain in the dark. Like this is who I am. This is, this is what pleases me. Here's why this pleases me. Here's who you are. He doesn't just reveal himself. He reveals truth about us. This is why you hurt. This is why you fight. This is why you cry. This is why you laugh. This is why you're not satisfied with temporary things. And this is why you're satisfied with me. God gives us that. That's revelation. And it comes in his word. And I'm just so grateful that that he does that. I don't know if anybody else got nervous. Anybody else get nervous when Ryan said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read and then I'm going to pray and then Jim is going to stand up and speak on behalf of God. Anybody else just kind of go, ugh, that's kind of freaky. I did, 
made me nervous. But there's just no way around it. And as I choose to stand up and to speak, part of me, I don't know if I have a, I have a sense of that. Um, Paul says, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Jeremiah says it's like a fire in me. Um, I appreciate the privilege and the opportunity to try to speak on behalf of the word of God, but I find a sense of peace about it because um, I'm not up here doing it alone. God gave me some great stuff to work with, 1 Corinthians 14. And then God gave me a spirit and God gave it to you and then God gave me a family to talk about it in, so I don't know why I need to be nervous. Um, I do. You're speaking on behalf of God. Okay, yeah, you're right. There's something that can be overwhelming about that, but, but just so we can share the angst. You are listening on behalf of God. Like you will now respond to the word that was spoken and to the word that will be explained and then you will live out that on behalf of God. So I'm not the only one in the room that needs to be very aware about what's about to happen over the next 30 minutes or so. This is a complicated text. I mean, most people just ask questions. So, is speaking in tongues still happen today? Why haven't I seen that in a service at Sunnybrook? Can I be honest? That's not what the text is about. What about words of prophecy? Jim, do you prophesy? Is prophesy just like preaching? That's not what the text is about. So I promise you, I'm not, I don't feel no, any obligation to speak everything about this text. But there are some things that we need to make sure in the time that we have that we have to deal with. And the primary thing that this text makes very, very clear, and it comes in a bigger section in chapters 12, 13, and 14, is a unit. Chapter 12 is about gifts. And by the way, they come from the Spirit, and the Spirit is one. And so there needs to be unity, and you need to recognize where your gifts come from. And there's a number of different gifts, and you need to recognize that they come from the Holy Spirit. That's chapter 12. Chapter 13, love. Wow, two texts, 12 and 14, about spiritual gifts, and then like a wedding sermon in the middle. No, it's actually three chapters about what it looks like for you and I to understand the gifting of God and then how we live that out. We live that out in love. We live out our existence with the gifts that God has given us by loving one another. That's why when you even look at the text beginning this morning, it begins with pursue love, right where Drew left off last week greatest of these is love. Pursue love. D- down deep, the reason why I'm, 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 I'm less nervous, and even you should be less nervous, is because Jesus doesn't ask us to think things and then do things on our own. He doesn't leave us alone. And that's why I want to remind you of a very famous passage. It's found in Matthew 16, 18. You can, I just remember, 16, 18. Matthew 16, 18. John 3, 16. Matthew 16, 18. Jesus makes a statement. Most of you probably know what it is. It says this. Jesus says, I will build my church. I will build it. That's one of the reasons why I don't need to be as nervous. If all of this was up to me, then I, I, I'd be really nervous. I'd probably quit, to be honest with you. I'm just not capable of doing what God desires without him. And so Jesus says on the confession of who he is, that's the context in Matthew 16 and Mark chapter 8, Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus says, and on this, 
I will build my church. It's good for us to remember that, that us as individuals and then us collectively, it's not just about you and I understanding and working hard. It's about God now working in us through his word, through his spirit. God is now at work and Jesus makes that promise. He makes that declaration. I am the one and I will build my church and I will not abandon you and I will be with you to the very ends of the age. All of these promises that Jesus gives about being with us is because Jesus is the one building his church. That's why Jesus is the one that says when a, when a brother or a sister sins and then they will not repent, you, you, you expel them, you, you send them out. And Jesus says in that context, and I will be with you. Because why? Because Jesus, through our holding one another to the truths of God, that actually builds us up. It doesn't tear us down. It builds us up. It makes us healthier. It makes us stronger the more that we, as individuals, and then collectively learn and understand and submit to the plans of God, the more we are the true church. That's what chapter 14 is all about. Over and over and over again, as Ryan was reading, Paul was describing the work of Jesus Christ. Gifts are always given for a reason. Think about that. I I couldn't think all, all week long. I couldn't think of an example when someone ever gave a gift and it had no reason at all. So, so why, why, why gifts? Have you seen the tree? You know it's December 25th? What do you mean, why the gifts? It's Christmas. Oh, that's right. I guess that makes sense. Why the gift? It's your birthday. That's why the gift is. Why the gift? I've had people say this. Why the gift? Oh, you know, nothing. Then they say, well, I just wanted you to know how much I appreciate you, right? Oh, that's the reason for the gift. You go somewhere and, hey, for coming or being a part of this, they, they say, a company might say, a, a resort that you're attending, and we have a gift for you. Why? So that you might know how much we appreciate your business. Oh, that's why. Okay, I get it. I, I just can't think of a reason for a gift. You, you delve deep into it. Sometimes the gift is nothing to do with me. It has all to do with the giver. Well, the only reason why I got this for you is, is just because I love you. I don't feel like I deserve your love. I know you don't, but I love you anyway. Thanks, Mom and Dad. Thanks, Andrea. Like, I did this for you. Why? Yeah, nothing in you, it's in me. And, and, and that's a great reminder. Because I, I want us, as we think about the gifts that God has given, I want us to always remember that as we understand this better, and we even understand the gifts that God has given to us by his spirit for the building up of the church, may we never fall in love with the gift so much that we lose sight of the giver. Because it isn't about the gift. It's about the giver. And we need to remember that. Do you, do you remember when you were young, when you were little? and you were given a gift, and it's all you could see? I just can't wait to open this. I can't wait to open this and play with this. I can't wait to open this and have this. I can't wait, and you don't even look up. Like, nobody else is even in the room. I just want this. I just want this. I just want this. That's how a child responds to a gift. So excited about the gift. But then you, you look up as you get older, don't you? I remember when I began to look up. 
I began to look up when I fell in love with a young girl, and now she's my wife, so it's easy to talk about. And I remember one of our very first Christmases together, Andrea bought me, are you ready for this? She bought me a Ralph Lauren Apollo rugby shirt. Loved it. Thought it looked great. I wore it a ton. But, but the truth is, it had way more to do with the fact that she gave it to me than anything. Sure, I liked the gift, but there was something about the one who gave it to me. That's why it stayed in my closet a lot longer than it should have. You know what I mean? Don't you need to sh- throw that shirt away? I'm not throwing that shirt away. You gave it to me. I, I remember, I don't think it was the same Christmas, but I still remember the Christmas where she got me a ring, a gold ring. I'd never had a ring before. She got me a gold ring with a J on it. I remember being excited about the ring, but I just remember going, Andrea got this for me. And I was so excited. I kept that ring after my fingers got fat and the ring didn't even go on. I kept the ring. Why? Because of the giver. See, and that's the, the difference. So as we mature, what Paul seems to be describing and instructing, that as we mature and as we are built up, our, our attention... Chapter 13, I think, calls us to this, that we no longer look at love of self, love how, how you make me feel about me, and love begins to be about others. It begins to ultimately be about God and his plan. See, as we grow up, as we are built up, all of a sudden, the gifts are great. Thank you so much for the gifts, but oh, the giver is so important to me. The giver really is everything. Without the giver, we wouldn't even have any gifts. And that's what Paul is drawing attention to. Never, ever, ever lose sight of the fact that it's always about the giver and it's really not about the gifts. The gifts always serve a much deeper and more profound purpose. And so this morning, what I want to do is I just want to look at a few verses. I mean, the text was rather large today, but the, the focus of it was rather small. And that's why we really thought it would better to have the whole text just spoken over us. And then we would just walk away with um, some rather, I would argue, simple truths that the Apostle Paul wants us to have. Now, before we deal with these, it's probably good for us to just define a couple of things so that there is clarity, because that's what the text is about, that there would be clarity for the building up of the body. A couple of gifts are mentioned, and I just wanted to help define them for you. The gift of tongues is a gift that was used in 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 the first century world. In part, we see in the book of Acts, the gift of tongues helping to bridge the gap or the distance between two different people that didn't have the same language. And so someone would speak and the Holy Spirit would enable them to understand it in a language that they do not know. I've got, I've got a son that does ministry in, in, uh, in Mexico, and one of the things he's going to have to do, I mean, if you're really going to make a difference here, if you're really going to get to know the people, you're going to need to learn Spanish. We have another son and a, and a daughter-in-law, and they're getting ready to go to Poland. We're so excited about this new work that they're going to do in Poland. And so they started to learn Polish to help bridge that gap. I'll bet you they'll be spending a lot of time praying for the gift of speaking in tongues. And if God doesn't give it, well, Mac, well, live. you better learn Polish. So that's the gift of tongues. But Paul is describing in this text something that's a little bit different. It's 
It's this ability to speak in a, in a heavenly type language that maybe nobody really knows except for the one who's speaking. There is something that is happening inside of me and it is coming out of me and I, I can't really explain it. It's a heavenly language and the Apostle Paul says he speaks in it. Many others speak of it, in it. And the Apostle Paul says this, this gift is, is used for the building up of an individual. It, it does make you feel exciting when you speak this heavenly. I can only imagine. I've never, I've never done it. I've heard it a few times. There is something that is actually happening and I can see people. I can even see how it can be edifying to the self. But if nobody explains, I just sit back and go, oh, that's kind of cool. Really don't know what's going on, but that's kind of cool. That's speaking in tongues. The other one that's mentioned in this text is the gift of prophecy. Now, so often when we think about that, we think about some kind of telling of the future. That's kind of how we look at it, right? So what's going to happen at the end of next year? Who's going to win the next election? What's going to happen to the church? When is the persecution going to start? That might actually be part of what a prophet might say. Prophet is more than just what I'm doing now, which is interpreting the scriptures. It appears that prophecy is described in this particular text is the Apostle Paul or whoever is speaking is having a supernatural, miraculous, divine word from God for the people of God so that they might grow up. It may include some kind of telling of future, but not just events, but the fullness and the reality and the implications of the gospel upon the people of God. And Paul says, in your worship, it is really easy for us to get excited about temporary things. It's excited. It's easy for us to get excited about what we might think of as supernatural things. But Paul says, let me tell you something that is more valuable, that has a, has a greater like eternal significance than the wow And that is the truth about God, the truth about who he is, the truth about himself and the truth about you, and the truth about how he reconciled to you with Jesus Christ, the truth about what it means for us to be the church, the truth about what it means for our relationships with one another. That is more valuable than any kind of supernatural thing that might happen to you. You want to know why? Because as Drew preached last week, it's not about you. It's about God. And so we see in this text a number of ideas that jump out. First of all, in verse 1, Paul makes this statement, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Right off the bat, pursue love. Because without love, these gifts mean nothing. Without love, all that we do just sounds like a gong. It sounds like a drum that's just beating. It sounds like a siren that is just going off. If I don't know why the siren's going off, all I know to be is scared. Love is that... That, that bridge, that ultimate bridge that a God who is love then mediates his goodness to us by loving us and by caring for us, by demonstrating that through Jesus Christ on the cross, you and I now enter into that relationship and then you and I now have the opportunity to act like God in love as we care for one another and as we, be, as we are his ambassadors to a lost and dying world. Pursue love. But then he says, and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Now, I know what it's like to earnestly desire things, really hoping that my favorite football team, you know, really has a breakout year this year. I earnestly desire that. I earnestly desire, um, you know, a lot, of the, a, lot, a lot of my plans for the future, that they all happen. Any, any people, like with careers or business, that earnestly desire for that to grow? Any of you in a complicated and difficult relationship 
and you earnestly desire for that to come together? Any grandparents in the room earnestly desiring for their granddaughter to come as quickly as possible? Me? See, there's lots of things that I earnestly desire. So I get that part of it, but then it says, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Oh, yeah, I guess so. See, if I can be honest personally, there's lots of things that I earnestly desire. That's not the complicated part of this verse. It's earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Well, how's that going to benefit me? Well, that's the interesting part. You're going to quickly see it doesn't. See, one of the things that it means to be a Christian is to have your desires changed, to have your wants readjusted. It's not just about being good. It's about a complete reordering of that which motivates and excites your heart, that which then orders and directs your mind, that which ultimately directs your hands. And Paul says to a church that through the use of their gifts have become so self-focused. That's why he says, love doesn't think of the self first. So as you pursue love, I want you to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. I honestly believe that one of the reasons why much of the giftedness is not experienced in the church is because you and I pursue exactly what we really, 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 really want. And a lot of you in the room, as I look out, I'll I'll say to you, congratulations, you're pretty successful. How many of you wanted a really good career and you have one? How many of you wanted like like a retirement plan that is on the right trajectory and you have one? How many of you actually have like a marriage that's working You have one. Yeah, but I I had to work hard for each of those things. I know, you earnestly desired and you found them. And I had to just get a gut check this past week and say, yeah, I mean, honestly, I have read this text for many, many, many years and then I, I do this. And God, if you want me to speak in tongues or prophesy, cool. God, I'm willing to do it. If you want it, let me know if you want it. And I go on with those things that I really earnestly desire. I just had to be honest. I don't know how much I've said, God, I want a word. I want a word from you, not not for my benefit, not for my building up, but I want a word that I could give to, like I really, like more than anything else, I want a word that I can say to my friend who's in this troubled situation. God, I want a word to speak to my people. God, I want a word to speak to my family. God, I want a word to speak to those people that I'm praying for and earnestly desiring that they come to faith. God, give me a word from you. I mean, we can never keep God at a distance. He's gonna do what he wants to do. But this This verse kind of caught me because I earnestly desire a lot of things and I I need to grow up a little bit and recognize that one of those things that I need to earnestly desire, he says in the rest of verse one, pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you might prophesy. Now, I'll, I'll bet you if I were to say to you, hey guys, just want you to know that as one of your pastors, I am eagerly desiring to be a prophet most of you would go, okay, this guy's getting weird on me. Like, I don't know if we need a prophet. I really don't know if we need somebody doing it, especially somebody eagerly desire. If I said to you, I want more than anything else to be a prophet, you would go, oh, look at you, Mr. Fancy Prophet Pants, right? That's probably what you would say. It would make you nervous. 
You're not gonna put that on your business card. Tell me you're not gonna put that on your business card. Paul says, like, I really want you to desire this, but you need to hear what he's asking for. I want you to earnestly desire that God would give you a word, like a word, a word that is true and a word that is clear and a word that shapes God's people so that they would be more like Jesus. That's what Paul's asking for. For what reason? Again, why these gifts? Why that gift? Look at verse five. So that the church may be built up. That's literally what he says. So that the church might be built up. See, it's not about Jim. It's not about so that I could have, um, by the way, I don't know if you know, but our pastor, he's a prophet. No, it's, I, I just want you to know, like our church is really being built up. Like it's really growing. Oh, really? How many at church on Sunday? Oh, I don't know. Actually, it was youthquake. It was a lot less. It's not about that kind of growth. It's the kind of growth that exists where you and I, the number will let God take care of that, that you and I over time grow in our understanding of and obedience to Jesus Christ. That we know who God is better And that we respond to God more genuinely from the heart. And that that work then means greater obedience and a living out of the faith individually and then together as a a fellowship. Like that's what's happening. And Paul says that's why the gifts exist. I don't need you to be impressed with the words, with, with, with with the tongues that are being spoken. I want you to be built up by the prophecy which is an accurate and clear, intelligible instruction so that you and I might know who God is, might know his plan, might know his plan for us, and that we might follow through. That's what the church is all about. The church is all about you and I hearing. That's why um, hearing and responding to the truths about God. Um, Lately, I've been really into this while we're singing songs, and I'm just kind of going... Man, that's, that's deep and that's profound. And do I mean that? Like Jesus, you are holy and that God is able? Really, Kyle, we're on that? Like God is able? What does that even mean? What does it mean that God is able? Most of us, well, you know, like he can do whatever he wants. And, and then we just go on to the next thought. And, and Paul is saying, what I desire here is that these words might be spoken so that the church might be built up. Verse 12, strive to excel in building up the church. That's why he says we need to desire, not, and by the way, not pastors, Christians, need to desire this ability to speak in tongues. Paul says, I wish everybody would. But more than that, that you would desire the gift of prophecy, that you could speak in such a way that others might know. Why? And excel in this so that we are built up and that we just keep growing and growing and growing and growing and growing deeper and more like, deeper and more like who Jesus Christ is. See, what what this text really is, is not a, I used to look at this text to try to decide whether or not speaking in tongues and prophecy existed today. That's really not what the text is about at all. Paul seems to assume that at least in his day, it's going full guns. He wants to make sure that chapter 13, it's lived out in love, and then the rest of this chapter, chapter 14, rest of this instruction, is that it is done in a way that everybody walks away. Oh, that's what that was about. Oh, that's who God is. Oh, that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. 
See, the one thing that matters in our worship, and, and God is glorified, is when the church is built up, and, and we need to excel in this. We need to desire this and then become better at this. Can I just let you in to one of our meetings that we had recently? So we have a worship arts team that gathers together and we talk about what we're going to be doing. We are just finished actually getting ready for our next series because we're getting close to the end of 1 Corinthians. And so we're going to be launching this next one. We're going to be going through the book of Acts. Okay, I'm excited about it, book of Acts. Although I'm excited about everything. So, but I'm really excited about going through the book of Acts. And we're in this, we're talking about this and we're going through some worship stuff. And then, hey, what about this particular song? It's really, really popular right now. What do you think of this song? And we had a lengthy discussion. I don't even know if it's done, but the lengthy discussion on, yeah, I don't know if we should sing that song. I, I, I don't like the way it describes God. Some of you are going, chill. It's a song. Yeah, I know, but it's, it's a song that we're going to sing, and it might, it just might. I just want us to be careful, not overly careful. I'm not panicking. I'm not worried. I'm not uh, calling the radio station and telling them to shut it down. You play that song one more time, I'm not giving you a dollar. No, 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 that's not, that's not what I'm saying, but, but we want to be careful about what we sing to God. We want to be careful even about like the little words that we put underneath the verses, and when we get a song and we go, hey, do we have a verse for this or do we have a, like a biblical verse for this one part of this song? And a couple of times we go, really, it's not like from the Bible. It's just kind of a fun idea. And if we get a song that just has a lot of that and a lot of Bible, we kind of look at each other, right? Then we go, do we need to be singing this song? Why? Well, because, you know, you guys are like nitpicky and um, you're a little bit obsessive and you obviously are pastors, so you have a lot of time on your hands, Right? No, it's, in 1 Corinthians 14, it just says that we really need to excel in the building up of the body. So we probably need to be, at some level, aware that what we are singing about God, what I'm saying about God, is true. A.W. Tozer actually makes this statement, and I'll, I'll let it fall on you. That the best thing about you, that one of the most accurate things about you, are the things that you know about God. When I read that, I just thought, okay, that's deep. Like the best thing about me are those things that I know about God. In doubt, read the text. Know what I'm saying? He continues on in verse 20. He says this, do not be childish in your thinking. Do not be childish in your thinking. It's okay to be a child when you're a child. It's not okay to be a child all the time. That's why we care, not because we want to be smarter than anybody else, but we care about growing up. We, we care about growing, and by growing up, what I really mean is becoming more like Jesus. That it's not just about making a confession about who Jesus Christ is and then getting my life back and living the rest of my life. It is me growing in my understanding of and obedience to Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. It's about not being content with where I sit or stand or live or walk, but I'm, I'm not actually totally pleased with where I'm at spiritually speaking, meaning my obedience and seeing Jesus lived out in me. What Paul wants is that when we speak, that we speak the truth about God. Is it not much of a leap? 
to say that then when we live, like my life is not much of a, that, that different than if Jesus were here living, like through me. Paul seems to care so much that it be orderly and that it be intelligible. I just want to ask a question. Are you confusing people with the way that you live? You ever have this moment as other people watch you live, as other people watch you talk, as other people watch your marriage kind of lived out, as other people watch you parent, do they ever look at you and go, okay, this doesn't make any sense. Who are you again? I'm a follower of Jesus. Just watch how I treat my spouse. I'm a follower of Jesus. Just watch how I use my money. I'm a follower of Jesus. Just watch how I... See, the Apostle Paul has this really strong attitude of let us not be childish in our thinking. Let us grow up. Let us grow deeper. Let us grow closer together. Let us become more like Jesus Christ. The verse actually says this. It's verse 20. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Implication. Grow up. Grow more like Christ. Be infants in evil. Literally, the word be infants is, um, it's the word for child, and then it's just a verb. It's like, act like a little baby when it comes to evil. Like, don't get good at it. Uh, Don't try to figure out better ways to be evil. One of the biblical teachings, um, or one of the teachings of the Bible that just describes how messed up, messed up people really are, is that they invent new ways to do evil. But not us. No, we're, 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 we're childish, we're, we're baby-like, we're, we're innocent. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. Again, what does that mean in the context? Grow up. And then in verse 33, because God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. See, that's the context actually for that last little part, I'm not afraid to deal with it, where it says, hey, I want women to be silent. I want women to not speak. Remember the context of chapter 14. It's about confusion. It's about God is a God of order. And so we can't have people speaking all the time. A TV show that Andrew and I have been watching recently on Netflix um, is, is Parenthood. Have you guys ever seen the TV show Parenthood? Okay, kind of an interesting show. But can I be honest with you? Drives me crazy that in every real scene, everyone talks at the same time. I literally think the script is, just start talking and say whatever you want and everybody do it at the same time. I think that's a lot of the script writing. I think it's actually done intentionally. It drives me crazy. Even now, how many of you people would be really upset if like I was having like five conversations at the same time for 30 minutes? Wouldn't some of you just go, yeah, I'm out of here. I can't do that. I need to turn this off. It doesn't work. And so the context of I want women to be silent is the same thing that he says about I want people to be silent. It's actually interesting that in chapter 11, he says, so when a woman prophesies in the church, make sure that she has her head covered. So obviously it doesn't mean what the text says. It means what the text means. The apostle Paul is driving for an orderliness that exists. Men, women, he's got some specific instruction about some specific information that's happening in the church in Corinth where there is some kind of disruption that is taking place But to just rip this verse out and try to say, here's an instruction about women to all time, I would say you're not reading the text very well. Read the context. What what, what God wants when the word is taught is that prophets prophesy. When tongues are spoken, that they're interpreted rightly so that the truth about God might be continually known. Why? Because it's not about the gift. It's about the giver. 
That's the reason why I can just sleep well at night. Knowing that the building up of the church, even when we have a really cool campaign, it's really all about Jesus. Because what Paul is resting in is this profound fact that it's not up to him about how the church of Corinth goes. And I'm telling you, it's not even up to us as to how Sunnybrook goes. It's not up to us. It's up to who? Who said, I will build my church? Jesus. And what you and I get to wrestle with is, God, help me to earnestly desire in the words that I use in the life that I live that what people hear from me and what people see in me is an accurate, intelligible, orderly picture of who you are. That's what this text is challenging us to do today. By the way, it may or may not include tongues. It may or may not include prophecy. Paul says to eagerly desire those for what reason? So that you and I might actually be a clearer, more understandable, more inspiring picture of who Jesus Christ is. Let's pray. God, thank you for this text, which... Father, I'll always have questions about texts, and if I don't, I don't think I understand who you are. Thank you for the reality that I could come back next week, and we could learn more from this text, and the week after, and the week after. God, I want to thank you right now um, that the, 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 the people of God today, Father, those listening, um, were peaceable. But more than that, Father, may we be built up. And as we leave here, may the words that we say and the way that we live be a more clear and intelligible portrait of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Build your church in us. Build your kingdom through us. For your glory, others benefit in our joy, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. As I-